0: You are listening to Gone But Never Forgotten. Our topics can include, but are not limited to, murder, sexual assault, graphic and gruesome details, and more.
1: These topics are adult in nature and are not meant for everyone. Listener discretion is advised.
0: A total of eight men went missing from the Church and Wellesley area of Toronto. This area is known because it really does fall in the heart of the LGBT-oriented enclave within Toronto. The investigation into the disappearances has come under intense scrutiny over the years and would eventually lead to the arrest, charge, and guilty plea of a 66-year-old self-employed man from Toronto. The man is the most prolific known serial killer within Toronto, and he is also the oldest known serial killer in Canada. In this episode, part two on Bruce MacArthur, we cover the victims that have been attributed to him and talk about their stories a little bit and their lives before we come back together for part three and the conclusion of this story, where we will discuss the harrowing circumstances in which Bruce MacArthur was captured and then what happened with all of that.
1: And welcome back to GBNF. As always, we hope that things are going swimmingly for you and yours. This three part series on Bruce MacArthur seems to have Lance doing more research than usual. He's been reading books, diving into old newspapers, and just taking everything in possible. Lance, how are you doing?
0: I'm doing well, thank you. I won't hide the fact that this case, uh, the entire Bruce MacArthur thing, is one of the cases that I couldn't wait to cover for the podcast and I definitely did do an even deeper dive than I usually do and that's usually pretty significant to begin with. This case though it really interests me.
1: Yeah it's definitely different.
0: That's a good word for it for sure. Uh, I mean as someone who has probably taken in scary levels of information when it comes to things like serial killers and true crime, Bruce is such an outlier. I mean, it's possible that we don't and may never know everything that lies in the life and past of Bruce MacArthur, but one thing is for sure, from what we do know, he is not your prototypical serial killer, if there is such a thing.
1: You have mentioned that he is indeed Canada's oldest known serial killer. It's definitely strange because when you think of serial killers, I think that you tend to think about younger males who are strong and fast, I think generally we have seen that older serial killers do tend to be women actually even at that bruce has them all beat out in this country at least
0: for sure in canada when you think of serial killers and stuff like that it's definitely where the ones that we know about kind of fall into like a similar pattern bruce is a guy who seemed to almost have an epic level midlife crisis that started around his 50th birthday and just got worse and worse from there. He didn't have to be as fast or as agile as you would think though, because it seems that he had his own pattern to things and unfortunately that almost made the victims even more helpless, but we'll get to that as we go.
1: So before we dive in, as we always do, we just want to remind you that you can sign up over on our Patreon page if you like what you hear here. And if you support the show there, you can be eligible for things like merch, ad-free episodes, and so much more. Come be a part of the GBNF family. Check us out on patreon.com forward slash GBNF podcast.
0: And of course, thank you to all of our current patrons and to our listeners who have sent donations as well. This is a labor of love, but as independent creators, every little bit that we get back helps us so much. We use that money to make this podcast even better. That includes subscriptions for research purposes, upgrades to our technology, and so much more. But what do you say we get down to business and talk about the lives of the victims in the Bruce MacArthur story?
1: We ended last week's episode by telling you that in 2014, Bruce MacArthur would have had his previous criminal record expunged. That means that if anyone did a research on any database for anything related to Bruce MacArthur, they would have come up empty. He would have looked as though the previous charges and assaults did not even exist.
0: That combined with the fact that what had been happening prior to 2014 and continued to happen after 2014 was happening in Toronto's gay village would lead to some serious problems in this case, as we will see. We would be remiss if we did not make it clear to you that in Canada, one of the most marginalized community in the country, alongside Aboriginal people and other ethnicities, is the gay community. In my studies on Canadian true crime, I would say that historically, the segments of society that have taken the worst of, shall we say, shoddy police work has been the aboriginal community, people who work within the sex trade, and members of the LGBTQ2S plus community.
1: There definitely seems like a pattern had developed throughout our history. Right up there with differences in cases where the family has money versus where the family does not. It's very troubling indeed.
0: As I often do, I will be sure to not just paint with a wide brush though, we're certainly not police haters, but one would be ignorant if they believed and stated that all cases are treated equal. Unfortunately, today's case is one of those where it is possible that if police had looked at some of the clues that were available and followed certain leads there may in fact be more people that did not succumb to the ongoing tragedy that was bruce macarthur
1: for this case i know that you did a lot of reading
0: yeah i do want to give a shout out to justin ling i purchased and could not put down his book missing from the village which was an incredible book that really sets the scene for anyone who's not familiar with the village, the investigation, and everything that goes along with this case. Justin's writing is captivating, informative, and extremely well-written. It gave me a level of knowledge on this case that I really couldn't have even received from super extensive research on my own. The book was valuable to me, and if you are interested in more to do with this case, check out Missing from the Village.
1: Even though we ended off last week with Bruce's story in 2014 with the removal of his criminal record, we do have to backtrack a bit further to catch the rest of the story up. While Bruce was around the village often and known by many, he did continue to live with the crimes on his record for a time. And as we're about to find out, he was committing murder under the radar, even though a simple search of his records or an interview would uncover that he had a criminal record for assault.
0: We are going to discuss the victims now of Bruce MacArthur in order of their disappearance. Obviously, we will interject along the way, but we felt that this was the best way to tell the story cohesively as possible. Obviously, with all of this, we have the benefit of hindsight and are able to piece things together as chronologically as we can.
1: So the first man that we're going to talk about is Skandinaraj Navaratnam. His friends knew him as Skanda, and we will go by that name here.
0: I wonder why.
1: (laughs) Skanda was a 40 year old man in 2010 when he went missing. He was born in Sri Lanka in 1970 and he was the second oldest of four brothers. Skanda grew up during a time where Sri Lanka was completely besieged in civil war. During this time, the unrest was between the army and the ruling government and the rebellious Liberation Tigers, who are better known as the Tamil Tigers
0: skanda wound up being a bit of an outlier within the civil war as he had chosen to be an activist in his own right Skanda was an environmental activist which did essentially leave him almost as an island unto himself because neither side of the civil unrest really looked too kindly on activists in general that seemed to be consumed with other causes or fights for skanda this was not an unusual feeling as he was growing up in a world where he was also hiding his sexual orientation. Skanda seemed to have a great grasp on who he was, but a lot of who he was was not acceptable or seen as accepted in Sri Lanka during this time.
1: Skanda would actually wind up being arrested, imprisoned, and even tortured during this time of his life because he was an environmental activist. He would finally decide in the 1990s that it was time for him to make a whole bunch of massive changes to better his own life. He left for Canada in hopes of finding a better and more accepting life and so that he could provide a better life by sending money and support back to his family in Sri Lanka where his siblings were taking care of his ailing parents.
0: Things certainly were better for Skanda when he came to Canada. He wound up settling in the Toronto area and that was a great move for him because obviously Toronto had the gay village and all of that culture that would certainly be appealing to him. He was able to open up a little bit and start admitting to others what he had long known about himself, that being that he was indeed interested in the company of other men.
1: Skanda was a social butterfly. It didn't take long for him to be recognized and known within the village because he had an electric personality that seemed to pull everyone towards him and people quickly became aware of the boisterous and likable man.
0: Skando was lucky that he had the ability to be so charismatic and social because it obviously was not and is not easy for anyone to move somewhere new all alone, let alone halfway across the world. Starting a new life with brand new people is overwhelming and incredibly difficult for most. As someone who moved to a new province within Canada, as a younger man, I know that this is true, and I can't imagine how it would be to move to an entirely different country with different customs, values, and beliefs. Skanda, though, seemed to thrive, which is truly a testament to the man that he was.
1: Skanda is described by those that knew him as larger than life. He enjoyed playing pool and scrabble, amongst other things, and he worked at the University of Toronto as a research assistant, and of course, stemming from his years of being an environmental activist, Skanda had a deep love for gardening.
0: Skanda really does sound like a salt-of-the-earth kind of guy. The activities that he enjoyed seemed to show us a man that was outgoing and incredibly intelligent seemingly nobody that knew him had complaints about him and he literally seemed to flower and flourish here in canada after making a very substantial change
1: unfortunately though all of that would not help Skanda to avoid tragedy Skanda would last be seen leaving zippers a bar in the gay village with two men on the sunday of labor day weekend september 6 2010 Anyone that would frequent the village then or even now knows that the Sunday of a long weekend was and is a massive party day for people in the village. The community didn't need a reason to party, but Sundays of a long weekend with an extra day to rest and recover were certainly good times for all. So it was in this busy atmosphere that Skanda would sadly disappear.
0: Monday, Skanda would not be seen or heard from
1: tuesday skanda would not be seen or heard from
0: on the wednesday following labor day a man who had recently had a first date with skanda would send him a text message to ask if he had passed or failed his audition referring to their date the text though would go unanswered it did not take long after not seeing skanda for his friends to get worried and spring into action
1: skanda had recently brought home a puppy to be his companion And this was believed to have been a major key in terms of causing worry and concern amongst his friends. You see, Skanda had, in the past, been known to disappear at times to try new things or go to new places. One time, for example, when Skanda was not heard from for some time, he was found at a monastery in Niagara Falls area of Ontario. However, all of that changed since Skanda had brought the puppy home. Skanda had been different he loved his dog and everyone believed that he would just never disappear and leave that puppy unattended.
0: After not seeing or hearing from Skanda for a week people started to talk more and more and they started to realize as they checked in with different people that Skanda was not with any of his friends and nobody had heard from him. On September 13th one of his friends, Zhang Guy, would report Skanda missing and the village would spring into action, doing something that they, sadly, had a lot of experience doing. They started searching for another missing person in their midst. Word spread quickly that Skanda was missing, and posters bearing his face were plastered everywhere and anywhere.
1: Time was of the essence, however. As we will see, not everyone was working as hard as the civilians in the village to find out what happened to Skanda.
0: As you can see from the time frame, all of this with Skanda happened well before Bruce had his crimes expunged. And to make matters worse, in hindsight, it would later come to light that Skanda and Bruce had been romantically linked for many years. The two had known one another since 1999, and friends would say that the two had a relationship up until at least 2008. Only two years before Scanda would go missing.
1: So, one would think that Bruce may be someone that the police would track down and talk to, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah, one would think. That's for sure. If you thought. You would hope that if you discovered that a missing man had a previous relationship with a man who had a criminal record for beating the shit out of someone with a pipe, that person might wind up on your radar.
1: Uh, by your words, I'm going to assume that Bruce wasn't on the radar.
0: That assumption would definitely appear to be correct.
1: That seems like a pretty egregious oversight to me. Especially since, like you said, Bruce still had a record at this time.
0: Very much an awful oversight. Although, of course, who knows what they would have found out. Plus, don't forget what we talked about in the last episode. Bruce was deemed an extremely low risk to re-offend, so why waste time, effort, and resources looking into someone that would clearly be a dead end, right? I'm hoping everyone can sense my sarcasm.
1: Uh, sarcasm duly noted. Unfortunately, as I'm sure you've all guessed by now, the missing people did not stop with Skanda. The second man they were going to talk to you about is Abdul Bazir Faizi, or, as he was known to his friends, Bazir.
0: Bazir had a lot in common with Skanda in terms of looks and even backstory, but in terms of personality, in many ways, the men couldn't be more different. Bazir, in his own words even, was not a happy man. Basir was born in Afghanistan in the 1970s, and prior to the invasion of Afghanistan in 1979, things in the country seemed to be heading in the right direction. The country was seemingly headed towards being a conservative and prosperous democratic nation. However, in 1979, all of that changed drastically.
1: A civil war would break out in the country and the Taliban would rise to power. Bazir, though, stayed and tried to adjust and make everything work. Bazir even got married in 1999 to a woman named Karima. However, as the pair started to plan together and plan a family together, they decided that it was time to move. And move they did, moving to Brampton, Ontario, a popular place for new residents coming to Canada from that part of the world. They would have two daughters together. Bazir would find work at a printing company and the pair would eventually even use their savings to purchase investment properties with a friend to try and further their family.
0: Unfortunately, though, they would wind up being played in that situation by their friend, who took all of their money and disappeared. Around that same time, Basir was also laid off at work at the printing company, and try as they might to stay afloat, the pair would declare bankruptcy in 2010. Around this time, Basir would tell his wife that he was unhappy with where they were in life. He wasn't happy in Brampton, he wasn't happy with what he was doing for work, and he wanted to make changes. One of the things that he did leave out to his wife, though, was the fact that he was living a closeted life, meaning that he was hurting because he was living a lie.
1: Basir enjoyed the company of men and would often leave Brampton under the guise that he was working late ...to make the long drive to downtown Toronto, to the village. Bazir was finding himself in a spot that was and is familiar to quite a few men. He was realizing that at the very least he was bisexual... ...but he was not willing to come out to his friends or family for fear of destroying the family. He wanted to wait until his children were older so that he would not negatively affect his family or their lives. Many men like Bazir would wind up facing a lifetime of sadness incompleteness and depression that they would take on themselves, rather than sharing things that they believed would destroy others.
0: This was perhaps the worst for men like Basir, men who were married, came from the Middle East, and had been indoctrinated in their cultures, religions, values, and society at large to believe that being gay was an incredibly awful thing. They would choose to struggle internally by being selfless, and they would hold on to so much stress and hurt inside for fear of repercussions and fears of being completely ostracized.
1: On December 28, 2010, though, everything changed, and Bazir would not ever get the chance to tell his family his truth on his own terms. He made the long drive to the village, and he first went to The Eagle, a bar in the village, and then he went to the Steamworks, a bathhouse, with a friend. Shortly before midnight, he told his friend that he needed to go home for the evening. The two had plans to meet up again on New Year's Eve.
0: Debit transactions would later show that Basir then went across the street, purchased a burger from a burger joint, and that would be the last confirmed steps of Basir. He did not return home. He did not even seemingly start the drive home. It didn't take long for Basir's family to become concerned when he didn't come home that night. Karima would try reaching him at work and on his cell, but his phone was turned off.
1: She would file a missing persons report the very next day. This was only three months and three weeks after the disappearance of Skanda. Basir's 2002 Nissan Sentra was found abandoned on Moore Avenue just steps away from the Beltline Trail, which was a small ravine and a popular cruising spot for gay men.
0: The next victim of MacArthur, or at least the victim that he would eventually be charged for, was Majid Kayan, who also was known as Hamid. There is a little less information on Hamid, but we will share with you what we do know. Hamid was an immigrant, also from afghanistan who had fled from afghanistan to canada in the 1980s with his wife and children to escape the same civil war and unrest that we discussed before
1: hamid as is familiar with bruce's victims hid his sexual orientation from almost everyone around him even when he and his wife would be divorced in 2002 hamid kept all of that to himself hamid was the son of a muslim cleric And as such, he did not come out to his entire family. Hamid had a lot of PTSD from his time in Afghanistan and developed a drinking problem.
0: He would certainly be recognized and known in the gay village, however. He was a regular on the scene since the mid-1990s, and he also stayed at an apartment with his male partner, who also had not come out to his family. Following the death of his partner, Hamid started to pursue Bruce MacArthur romantically, as the two were familiar with one another from the Black Eagle.
1: Wait, wait. Bruce's name is coming up here again? Is he connected to every victim before they became a victim?
0: I think you're starting to see a pattern here. Uh, We of course do have the benefit of hindsight now, but yeah, it seems there are a lot of connections between missing people and Bruce at this point. If you had one of those evidence boards that we see on TV and in movies, I could picture a lot of string going from faces of missing men to a picture of Bruce MacArthur. And yet, this still carries on for a long time.
1: I don't know whether to be, like, angry, confused, upset, or even sad.
0: I think that any of those are suitable responses to the information. Hamid would last be seen on October 18th, 2012 in the Gay Village near Young and Alexander Street. He was reported missing a week later on October 25th by his adult son.
1: So there was a pretty significant passage of time here between the first two missing people that would eventually track back to Bruce and Hamid.
0: Yes, there are often cases of long layoffs for serial killers, which would be could be attributed to that amount of break, Or also, there is always the option that there are more victims to Bruce that we don't even know about.
1: There would be another long break before the next person that Bruce would eventually be found guilty of murder for. That being Surush Mahmoudi, who was 50 at the time of his disappearance. Surush was last seen alive on August 14, 2015, near his home. He was a manufacturing plant worker, and he lived with his wife. He would be reported missing by his wife not long after he disappeared
0: as you can likely guess by now surush had come to canada as a refugee from iran and he didn't have any family here until he later met his wife the two met and started a relationship and he would eventually move from barry north of toronto into toronto so that they could be closer to his wife's family Saroosh was a bit of an outlier in this case for a long time, because even though he had gone missing, and he bore a lot of similarities with these other missing men, there was not a connection that the police could find between him and the gay village.
1: There was, however, a four-year relationship that he had had with a transgendered woman before he met his wife, which may have caused at least a bit of a pause if the police were even looking for a serial killer or a kidnapper.
0: This is actually one of the most outrageous parts of the story for me. It would seem that the police weren't only dropping the ball on cases of missing people that had ties to the village, but instead they dropped the ball here in a big way also, with a victim that they believed didn't have those ties. The transgendered woman that Soroush had a relationship with for four years... She never received one phone call from the police.
1: Maybe there was nobody with ties to him from back then that could point them in the direction of her?
0: If only that was the case, I could let it go. Saroosh had a long criminal record of offenses related to driving under the influence, driving without a license, and one outlier. An assault charge from an altercation between him and... The woman that he had that four year relationship with.
1: Well, there goes that excuse.
0: Exactly. In all of the quote unquote investigating, nobody deemed that it may be worthwhile to even make a phone call to look more into his past. Saroosh was not even seen as a gay man or related to the village, but clearly he was seen as somewhat of a career criminal, and maybe that was a good enough reason to not look into his past for police. Who knows
1: the next victim chronologically would be karushna kuma kanagaratnam who was a bit of an outlier in many ways he was never reported missing and had come to canada with 491 other tamil refugees from sri lanka in august 2010 aboard the mv sun sea this was not a legal case of becoming a refugee And a deportation was given and he went into hiding within the tamil community in ontario and he worked as a cleaner and a mover
0: he was 37 years of age when his family last had contact with him in august of 2015 which also made his age a bit of an outlier but the rest of the story is certainly familiar it's believed that he was killed around january 6th 2016.
1: The next victim that Bruce murdered was also definitely an outlier in many ways.
0: But also, he was simply another marginalized member of society for other reasons.
1: Dean Lissowick was 43 or 44 at the time of his disappearance, and he sadly was not ever reported missing. That was because Dean was one of thousands of people who were homeless and living on the streets of Toronto when he wasn't living with Toronto's shelter system.
0: Dean had grown up in poverty, and his family had moved away from where he was born, which was Winnipeg, Manitoba, in search of chances to change their lives and change their fortunes here in Toronto. Unfortunately, though, the move did not help things, and his family fell apart. Dean was only eight years old when he became a ward of the Catholic Children's Aid Society, and he was placed with a foster family in Eudora, Ontario. The setup that Dean found himself in was very similar to the setup that Bruce's family had of taking in troubled children when Bruce was younger.
1: Unfortunately, as was the case with some of these foster families, Dean would become the victim of abuse, sexual and physical, and that would likely play a major part in how his life went. Oftentimes, victims like this, especially when poor, find themselves mentally unable to deal with the horrors they have been a part of and unable to find answers to repair the damage done, and they certainly find themselves financially unable to find the support and help that they desperately need.
0: When he was old enough, Dean would move back to Toronto and would find himself drawn to the village, where he dealt with drug problems, and he found himself drawn to the sex trade where he could make money to feed his different habits. Dean was another boisterous and outgoing man who also had a good looking and young face, and because of that he didn't have any trouble finding work within the sex trade. It was hard for him to find other work because he was a drug user who had a criminal record, so the sex trade worked for him.
1: Over the years, even though his life had taken bad turns because of his family life, he always stayed in touch with his biological family even sending birthday cards to his mother every single year. Dean also had a young daughter, but he simply was not able to take care of and didn't have a part of her life.
0: Another heartbreaking story of a man in the village who simply disappeared and he was never reported missing. Many believed that perhaps he had found a way to get his life straightened out and had moved on. Unfortunately, that was not the case. It is believed that he was killed by Bruce MacArthur around April 23rd of 2016.
1: The last two men whose disappearance and deaths would be attributed to Bruce MacArthur went missing in 2017. The first was Salim Essen. Salim was 44 at the time of his disappearance. The last time that can be confirmed that he was seen was March 20th, 2017 near Young and Bloor Streets in Toronto, just west of the Gay Village.
0: There have been varying reports over the years of people saying that he was seen after that, but nothing that can be definitively confirmed. He would officially be reported as missing by a friend on April 20th. Police would originally report that Salim was homeless and that he often had a suitcase with him because of the transient lifestyle. Friends, however, would quickly dispute that fact and say that in fact, He was a victim in an abusive relationship, and he had that suitcase because he would often stay with friends to escape for a time.
1: Selim was a Turkish citizen who first arrived in Canada because he followed a partner who had previously fled from Turkey. Selim did struggle with drug addiction, but his friends said that he was slowly working hard to overcome the problem. He even had completed a course in peer counseling from St. Stephen's Community House just before his disappearance. It is believed that this is where Bruce would have met, or at least become aware of, Salim, as he was a client also at St. Stephen's and well respected by everyone there. It is believed that Salim was killed by Bruce around April 16, 2017.
0: Salim had only been in Canada for a short time after living in Australia. He arrived in Canada in 2013.
1: The final victim that would be instrumental in the capture of Bruce MacArthur was certainly not cut from the same cloth as other victims. It almost seemed to be more of a crime of opportunity than a fit with the other victims. His name was Andrew Kinsman.
0: Andrew was 49 at the time that he was last seen, which was June 26th of 2017, one day after the Toronto Pride Parade. He would be reported missing three days later on June 29th, and was described by everyone that knew him as happy, upbeat, and incredibly social. Ironically, he also had a fascination with crime and true crime, serial killers in particular.
1: Andrew was a responsible man who didn't live on the streets and always held down a job. He was a superintendent at the building that he lived in, and he was also a volunteer in many ways, and in any way that he could be. The ties to Bruce were also unmistakable.
0: Bruce and Andrew had known each other for at least 12 years, dating back to when Andrew worked as a bartender at one of Bruce's favorite bars, the Black Eagle. Andrew also was known as one of the people that did odd jobs with Bruce when he was working with the landscape company. The two also, you guessed it, had a sexual relationship that had been going on for some time.
1: So, Andrew helped in the capture of Bruce, but how?
0: Well, as I just laid out, this wasn't an entirely marginalized man living on the fringe of the village. Nor was this just a person off the street. Nor was this a man with a massive criminal record. No, instead, this was a man who was well-respected in the community, always had respectable jobs, and as much as it sucks to say, he was simply just not from the margins of society at all. Friends and family were all over the police when andrew went missing because even though there was not certainty that his disappearance was related to all of these other disappearances because of the differences that existed there was certainly sentiment that andrew's disappearance was part of a greater problem that was very visible people disappearing from the village
1: this is also heartbreaking i mean All of these men, and obviously so many others during this time, were going missing in the village, and some of them even had ties to Bruce MacArthur. And yet, this was allowed to continue on in earnest, and Bruce seemed to simply walk that tightrope of two lives. One, a man who drifted in and out of the gay village and was a strong man in the community, and another, a man who was seemingly selecting his victims with much thought and deliberation in order to keep the other side of him a secret for as long as possible.
0: Next week, we'll get into the real meat and potatoes of this case. We will talk about how the investigation, capture, and case all came together and all of the information that would come out. As we have said, there is a lot of egg on the face to go around with this one a lot of people didn't do their jobs right and a lot of people lost their lives because of it this case is certainly interesting frustrating and downright heartbreaking
1: so yes we will leave it here for you for this episode and we'll invite you back for next week's episode when we conclude the look at bruce MacArthur. we have seen the early years the victims and next week we'll dive into the crimes and conclusion of this case
0: Thank you for spending your time with us, and our thoughts and prayers definitely do go out to the friends and families of these eight men who we know fell victim to serial killer Bruce MacArthur.
1: So thank you again, and we'll see you next week.